Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond of the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville on a balmy afternoon. Tom is hot in the podcast studio. I mean, compl- I mean AC says 66 and there's just no way. Well, no, it's, it's well above 66, but... That thing is struggling. It is struggling. It's been struggling for a couple of weeks. But imagine, y'all been in here before, before we had the AC It is unit. actually moving some air. Yeah. As I, opposed to years past. Yeah, it could get nasty hot in here. I would agree. It wasn't on a, a lot on of a air sunny movement. morning on with these, all these windows before we had the big shades oh, yeah. and stuff. Ooh, hot. So if y'all didn't pick up on that, that's Don. Don's here. Jeff's here. Hot. Jeff. Not as hot as Tom, though, apparently. <laughs> it's not cold. But it's not as uncomfortable as I yeah, was yesterday. That's I'll right. put it that way. Yeah. Or Jeff's description of his morning in the bee suit. That didn't sound Oof. pleasant. Yeah, that was not fun. You hear about all these beekeepers and people that are into bees. And they all say from the first time they started messing with bees, they loved them. That not so much That with didn't you. happen for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's because that's you're an entomologist. You're not a beekeeper. Yeah, you're, maybe so. Your goal in life has been to control insects. Notice I didn't say kill. You know, it may be the fact that a lot of these beekeepers, well, we were out with a beekeeper this morning, and he was wearing a T-shirt and regular pants, and I had on this full bee suit and a veil and gloves and... So what's that say about you? <laughs> Says I don't like to get stung. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. But apparently you get used to getting stung. We, yeah. If I got stung, we'd end up in the ER. Well, you say that. We have a, a guy that we know in North Carolina who was on had bees for years and then got stung one day and passed out in the grass. The neighbors saw him. The only reason he's, he's still alive. So, you know, over the years, he got susceptible to it. Yeah, I developed an allergy to it. I guess it's an allergy. In adulthood, I got stung one time and my, on the hand, my whole swelled up all the way up to my shoulder. So, yeah. I got a cousin who, who worked for the power company, was trimming trees out of a bucket, got hung up in a swarm. He had like 150 stings on it. That'd probably kill me. But if I had to guess, it'd probably kill well, me. Well, he but had health problems from then on. Based on that one and the, the way my arm expanded in size well i'm gonna continue to take every precaution not to get stung i don't blame you i would too yeah, me either jeff you and don y'all been running together for a long time and it's well documented that don is a big fan of power tools so what do you think don's favorite power tool is probably the chainsaw that he borrows from the preacher with the it's a 32 inch bar on it the, the bar is actually belongs to me, but okay. The, the, <laughs> the long bar is Don's, <laughs> the, the, so that doesn't qualify. It's not a power tool. That, that, well, that is an attachment. Know. Let me get this straight. You borrow the chainsaw, but then you remove the bar that you borrow and put yours on it. Yeah, he's got a twenty-four inch bar on it, and you know I had some big stuff. To and cut. that's not big enough for Don. Yeah, which for those of you that don't <laughs> fool with the chainsaw very much is a big well chainsaw bar we cut that tree at jeff's house last year and we were happy we had the 32 inch bar because it, it it was necessary look i thought about buying a chainsaw with a 32 inch bar you know how much those things cost a you, lot you're gonna kill a grand real quick like yeah a lot and then you know what you have then a big chainsaw 
that sits around in the shop. That sits around in the shop because you don't ever want to grab a hold of that thing. <laughs> Don's going to try and not only borrow it, he may try and buy it How from much you. do you think that thing weighs with a 32-inch bar? It's not that much heavier, but it changes the balance point drastically. You think? Yeah, I mean, with that 24-inch, is pretty well balanced. It's very front heavy with that 32 on it. Good grief. Yeah, I wouldn't want to use it every day. <laughs> you got the bar in case you ever want to <laughs> well, interchange it. Still hung up on the fact that he borrows it from a preacher. That is what you said, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. A friend of mine. Just wanted to make sure I wasn't reading something into the... There's there's three or four of us, you know, that exchange tools back and forth when, when necessary. Don even has attachments to tools he doesn't own. <laughs> well, I mean, it wouldn't be fair to ask the other guy to buy something that he's not going to use that I want, need. <laughs> that he knows better <laughs> than to buy? Come on now, Don. I try to do that with you all the time. We've had that conversation before. Yeah, I won't well, talk about you, it on the air. I'm trying to live vicariously through you, and yeah. I'm trying to get you to buy what well, I would like to have. And well, you, you Tom, wants you me to spend, Tom wants me to spend $10,000 on a Barrett 50 caliber rifle so he can shoot it. Who doesn't want their friends to have a Barrett 50 caliber? <laughs> Is that like having a boat? <laughs> you want to have friends that have boats, but you don't want to have it? <laughs> Only better. <laughs> the deal with that 50, this is pre-current conditions. It was $5 a round at the time. It's probably 15 now. Oh, it, at least. Because the demand's so high for <laughs> 50 caliber. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Everybody has one. Everybody has one. Okay, we'll, anyway. uh, we'll debate on whether to edit that out or not. We have our entomologist here to talk more generally about late-season pest management. And I think soybeans would be the preferred topic right now, just A, based on the point in the season we are, and, and B, based on history in the past of some of the topics that have come up. Tom, I'm going to turn this back to you. You know, we have a lot of replanted beans this year and a lot of late planted beans. We had a lot of wheats. We got wheat beans and, and different scenarios. And from an insect standpoint, when we talk about, we talk about plant date a lot with soybeans because with an early planting date, we can outrun a lot of insect pests. Later planted stuff, we tend to have higher insect pressure. Does that work with diseases as well? Will late planted beans have more disease pressure or less yes. disease pressure? If you remember the whole situation regarding the early soybean production system, that was one of the major topics. It was to escape late season tropical systems, insect pests, as well as late season disease pressure. So absolutely, you can, and you have, I was thinking as you were asking that, a couple of different reasons why that could be you have an earlier crop that may build up inoculum that could then blow into those later planted soybeans or you think about something like soybean rust that typically can move into something like kudzu because that's its preferred alternate or additional host i like to call it because kudzu and soybeans are close relatives and in some years, that can tend to be a problem later in the season than what it would be in July. And most of that depends on prevailing environment prior to that point in time. So the short answer is yes. The long answer would be, and certainly something that we none of us have a crystal ball to really look into, is which disease issues might be a concern. Because certainly to this point in the season, it's been fairly quiet on the disease front. So on these 
later planted beans that obviously the yield potential is lower. And, you know, I've heard mixed feelings from growers about how to manage this late crop. Jeff, qualify that by late planted. Are you talking about the flood, the beans in the flooded area? Beans in the flooded area, wheat beans. So super, super late. Super well, late. I mean, yeah. we've got a couple of situations. We've got the early planted beans. We've got some kind of mid to late planted beans. And then we've got these ultra late replant yeah. beans. Right. That last Monday, I think they were planting some south of, of, Rule, of yeah, Ruleville. I saw a planter running yesterday, man. I'm not yeah. sure we're through yet. No. Uh-uh. And, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there, Jim. But there's two trains of thought out there is I'm going to try to squeeze every bushel out of these ultra-late beans that I can. And then I've heard others saying, I don't want to spend money on them. We're just going to get what we get and live with it. They're on their own. I'm getting to a point with this, but from a fungicide standpoint, what's going to be the recommendation on these later planted soybeans my thought is right now hold your bullet as long as you can and let's think about that reactively in a few more weeks as the season progresses because unfortunately i have absolutely no idea what's going to happen say a month from now and if you look at historically some of those problems that we encounter later in the season typically occur with pretty frequent regularity over the last decade Right. Rust being the one that usually is the, or had been, I won't say is usually, had been the main topic, you know, circa 2010. Most people were concerned about that. Lots of people last year, there were some places in South Mississippi that had a little later planted crop, not necessarily as late as what we're talking about. And some of the calls that I received from down there from field representatives and whatnot suggested, well, wait a minute, we didn't think rust would, was continuing to be a problem. Why did we need to be worried about that? And my, my comment was rust can always be an issue. It depends on what the environment brings to us as we progress through the season. My line of thought on that was when people do start spraying fungicides on these ultra-late beans, you know, their, their natural reaction is going to be, I need to mix something with it. And I mean, Don can talk about the pros and cons of spraying an insecticide at the wrong time in beans. Yeah, I mean, you put the wrong thing out at the wrong time, you can make a much bigger problem later for you. You might, you know, kill the beneficials out and stir up something else, stir up some loopers or something that's really expensive. But I think the mindset is dependent upon whether you have a contract to fill. I mean, if you have a contract to fill, then you're pushing for maximum bushels to try to fill that contract. And if you're not, it may be the appropriate uh, response is somewhere in the middle, somewhere you balance yield and, you know, your cost as well. Well, and from that disease management situation, there's not so much that you'll flare something else for making an application at, at a different time. But the real, the crux of that scenario, to speak, is one of those whereby I think a lot of people may be confused about, well, we have suggested in the past an automatic fungicide application at, say, the R3 growth stage. That is not always 100% effective. And when I say 100% effective, 
that's not one of those situations whereby I can tell you you're always going to expect to get, as an example, a six bushel per acre response. That's why in the past we've tried to target that in a situation whereby you fit some specific parameters. So you're saying you can't guarantee a return. That's exactly right. The return that has been suggested from the bulk of the data set that has been generated by Mississippi State University dating back almost to like 2002 or 2003 suggests that about 60% of the time there has been a return that has been somewhere between three and six bushels per acre. At that point in time, dating back like pre-2005, 2006, that was with a single active ingredient product at that point in time would have been either headline or quadris. And the bulk of those data sets suggested that a two-way mix or something that contained a QOI, a strobilurin, or a DMI, which would be a triazole, was not as effective as the QOI on its own. Now you fast forward a few years, and that tended to change. So there was a little bit better return in that 60% window but again you had very specific parameters in those situations it was continuous soybean irrigated and tended to be early planted in those specific instances where they saw the best benefit from those automatic applications from our standpoint and i think don will agree with with me on this is that r3 regardless of when you plant soybeans tends to not be an ideal time for spraying insects and it doesn't matter when you plant one insect that can affect that is bollworms but r3 usually it's going to be too early for loopers too early for stink bugs and you're just not targeting a whole lot may or may not be too early for for bollworm the deal with bollworm is in mississippi they can be sporadic enough the chances of you you know, hitting it just right with an automatic is not good. Our message to continue is you've got to scout. You have got to check them. Let's pull the agronomics into this. One thing I've suggested to people related strictly to weed control is on the replant. So this is, you know, over the past month since that the weather event happened. Find a grain drill, plant them in seven and a halfs, and just leave them alone. Spray them once, you know, try to keep them clean, but try to max out your return on the yield potential that you have left at that planting date because the data from here is, you know, you had 70% yield potential on a June 25th bean compared with April 25th bean. So y'all talk about that, that you're starting out, maybe it's 70%, maybe it's 75%, maybe it's 65 whatever it is. It's off, no, yes, no question. Absolutely. You know, the, so, the, the other thing before you get into the yield from your standpoint is I remember we had Nick Bateman did, did his graduate work looking at different planting dates on insect pests. But one thing that we saw is on these land, later planted soybeans is they never completely canopied. Yeah. Getting back to your point about finding a grain drill because – Weeds are going to be horrible in these late planted beans. Yeah, because you're not going to get any height. Rows. Yeah, you're yeah. not going to get any height yeah. to them at all. So, I guess a question that I have, and y'all feel free to to chime in with anything else. But Don, to to you and Tom, is there an insect pest or a, a pathogen that can just zero you out? Thinking about my plan, which was plant them in narrow rows and try not to worry about it. To me, with insect pest and disease pest. 
that's not as sound a plan because you know like you said a storm can come through blow something up tom that you didn't you didn't expect to see and then of course you always say don that your targets are mobile and you don't ever know what's going to happen there's not an insect pest in beans that i'm aware of that can wipe you out in say three days yeah i mean if you're checking on a regular basis once a week more frequently if you've got a bunch of red banded stink bugs which we don't appear to have at the moment that could change but you know most times you know you ha- you have time to find them and react to them probably the th- the insect pest that i would say that can do the most damage quickest is probably velvet bean caterpillar they seem to blow up really fast in huge numbers and then eat basically defoliate the field in like a week but if you're scouting you'll find them i saw more a bunch last year uh south of here and uh i wouldn't be surprised we see them again and you know he's talking about you know what's going on now the the quote normal crop there's a guy told me yesterday he had stink he had threshold level stink bugs he was spraying you know this week in the early crop so it's probably fixed to start now, if it blows up just to stupid amounts, only time will tell. I'd say the bulk of the plant diseases could are similar to what Don suggested about most of the insect pests. They're not likely to reduce a crop to zero in, in such a rapid fashion. Yeah, and zero. I mean, obviously, that was a little bit of hyperbole. I mean, but there are some to come to mind, but they're, they're not even really mentionable at this point because they all relate to resistance within the plant and all the rest of that and that's way too much biology for this kind of an afternoon conversation I mean, we're this very podcast we're very fortunate that virtually all of our beans are being looked at you know there's things that if you ignore them don't look at it for two or three weeks you can come back and have a disaster there's diseases will do the same thing i'm sure oh, that's right yeah I mean, but you know we're very fortunate we've got people in the field looking at these things so it's unlikely that something is going to slip up on us like that yeah we're going to find problems and we're going to deal with problems and we're going to spend money that we don't want to but it's unlikely we're going to have a you know a train wreck where you have a huge amount of yield loss from either insect or disease because got bias just because we have that many people looking at it there's nothing in beans that's analogous to plant bugs in cotton is or, basically what you're saying or weevils in cotton yeah or weevils also related to agronomics jeff you and don said that r3 really too early for an insecticide but then that's our preferred timing for a preventative fungicide application is that accurate Tom. somewhere in that r3 r4 window that most of or the bulk of the data suggest that that r3 r4 application timing window tends to produce the greatest response does that shift any given day length and all the other things that we're basically gonna have a short crop and beans going to are, are coming out of the ground pretty much flowered i think it's just going to go through growth stage quicker yeah if you'd ask me, knowing just slightly more than nothing about entomology, that's well, what I would have said. Our message has never been, you know, there's definite windows where things are more susceptible to certain pests than others, but we cannot tell you with any confidence, say, if you spray at R4, there's a 50% chance you're going to get a return for insects. It all depends on what's there. Yeah, and I wasn't I wouldn't saying 
spray based yeah. on grow stage, but thinking about cost and things, and if you are going across the field, is is there a possibility that given the extreme circumstances that some of these fields face, that this may be the the time to do it? And if it's not, it's not. I mean, the, I, the, I, I mean, y'all have always talked about thresholds and basin treatments on scouting. Uh, the, the way to think about that, and this is a conversation I have with a lot of people, not just in soybeans, but talking about automatic applications in every crop, is just because you do it in soybeans, say at R3, does not mean that you're not going to have to come back and spray again at R5. Right. Because you may have stink bugs move in when it starts forming seeds and... You're going to have to make well, and when, spray. when Don mentioned about missing that application timing with a fungicide situation, that's that's perfectly that that could happen. It hasn't happened in the years I've been here, but you could make an R three fungicide application and then have to come back at R five and a half or before that because something has blown into the situation, and and could potentially cause some pretty dramatic yield losses, and that's always a difficult conversation to have. If you look at it, the residual activity on insecticides, if you exclude chlorantranilopril, which is... Wait, what? Chlorantranilopril, which is the active in Besiege and Prevathon. Well, let's just call it Besiege. Or Prevathon. There's multiple. Or there, <laughs> then there, there's another formulation out as well. Excluding those, you're looking at five to seven days residual. At most, some of them less than that. With the you know those products, you can get fourteen to twenty days depending on the particular target pest. So if you put say pyrethroid out at R three, you know when you're putting your fungicide out and say, well I'm controlling stink bugs, well, you may kill two or three that's there. At R five, you come in, and they, if they come back, you're going to have to come back again because you've done nothing to impact those later ones. Because that residual is so short. And I know a lot of the fungicides, when they get on those leaves, it'll set there for a, a good bit of time. That just doesn't happen in the insecticide world. Well, and your residual efficacy is generally considered to be 14 days for a triazole, 21 days for a strobilurin or the QOIs. And that's typically why in the past I've suggested if you're going to make an automatic, if you feel you have to make an automatic application, holding off until something like R4 can put you deeper into R5 reproductive growth stages, and pod filling, which definitely can be more advantageous. Closer you get to R6 is better. We've seen it here. You know, you get a bunch of stink bugs in, and they're like moving like the plant bugs. You know I mean? There's what's there, and then there's more coming right behind it. I mean, we've sprayed beans every five days for, you know, two or three times because we were the last green beans around, and they just kept coming. So that's how short residuals can be. Sounds like the bottom line of all this discussion is is keep scouting even these ultra-late planted beans. If you're wanting to cut something, don't cut out a consultant. Because the, the beans are going to have to be scouted. Oh, and, I, and stay in touch with us as frequently as possible for some of these difficult questions because I think that in some cases this is definitely going to be a field-by-field field instance and most everybody has a, at least in their mind, a budget that they want to try to stick to. So try to target your spending as 
strategically as possible. Well, and I will say that the one conversation I continue to have on a pretty frequent basis is most people call and say, hey, I want to make an automatic fungicide application. What's the best product for that? I'm seeing some marketing whereby they're suggesting this large automatic benefit from a yield standpoint. And typically my comments are, okay, are we attempting to manage a disease? And if so, what disease? because then that brings us back to what variety we're talking about. And in most cases, most of the varieties that we've planted in Mississippi this year tend to have a pretty strong disease package. So you take frog eye out of the picture. Then if we're just talking about an automatic fungicide application in the absence of disease, most products are pretty, they perform about the same. And that's a difficult conversation to have because there's a lot of passion about all this automatic fungicide application strategy. We really appreciate having you in the studio to talk about this because I think this is something we'll probably be discussing again. This is probably something we'll be talking about over the next coming weeks and certainly the next coming months. So we really appreciate the insight in that particular topic. Our regular listeners, thank you again. As always, this is something we really enjoy doing. We certainly appreciate the continued comments, the Twitter activity, the the calls that, that really lead to some of this content. All right, we'll get Tom out of here so he can get into some better conditioned air. I don't know that it'll be better conditioned air. I got to go walk corn. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.